Welcome to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to the Bible Feed podcast. My name is Lawrence Davenport. I'm here with Dan Weatherall. And we're going to cover in this episode uh, a very specific passage, and it's about how we understand God and Jesus. The passage in question is in John chapter 10, and it's the phrase, I and my Father are one. Hi, Lawrence. Yeah, we're going to think about that verse and the things that Jesus said very specifically. So sometimes we take steps back and think about the broad picture of the Bible or a book as a whole, that kind of thing. Every now and then it's good to also jump into a verse and just think, what exactly is this verse saying? So, And of course, this is probably a pretty famous verse. There's a lot put on the verse often, isn't there? There's this saying of Jesus, whether or not you know, you're coming from a Trinitarian perspective where you conceive of God as, as three persons in one, one being, in one essence. Or actually, sometimes there's historically a lot of people who are modalist or oneness, and they would look at this verse and point to this verse and say, look, Jesus and God, they're all just one person. Um, you know, that's what it's saying. So there's a lot of things like that. There's baggage, there's background, there's all sorts of interpretations for it. I want to hopefully avoid like a theological battle. That's not really what we want to do. We just want to drill down into the context and just look at the text and look at this verse in context, try and work out what Jesus meant. And obviously that's going to have implications for those other views, Trinitarian or oneness or, or, or whatever else or other option there may be. It's going to have some implications, but really the point of this is just, let's just deal with this text, understand what it means, because hopefully it's something that's really quite profound and practical. Excellent. So no better way than starting a a Bible study on a passage than reading the passage through. So um, I'll read John 10 verses 22 to 30, and then we can start to consider some of the points that it raises. Yep, great. Okay. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, where do you want to start in considering this passage then? So let's just think right back at the start of what you you read. There's a dispute going on, isn't there, between Jesus and and the Jews. I mean, that that keeps them coming throughout John's Gospel. There's this kind of dispute about who Jesus is. That's that's really what the the passage is all about, isn't it? It's about whether or not he is the Christ, the Messiah. Yeah, that's a common theme that we see throughout all the Gospels. We spent a long time, didn't we, looking at Matthew um, this year, and we were seeing a constant threat to the authority of who Jesus was. Is he really the Son of God? Is he who he says he is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so in that sense. John is, is saying the same or answering the same question, isn't he, as, as the Gospels? I mean, often John seems and feels and looks 
different from all the from the other three gospels doesn't it but but actually fundamentally it's it's dealing with the same question who is jesus is he the messiah is he the christ so so i think that's really important just to bear in mind and we'll perhaps think about that towards the end because jesus then doesn't like directly answer that question does he he's always um it's always been a bit no. tricky in, in john's gospel i mean he he talks in parables doesn't he uh, all throughout john's gospel as well he talks in very different sort of language and the jews never get it they don't seem to understand it they can never understand and uh, here is just one of those examples so he doesn't directly answer the question instead what he says is well you're not going to hear me because you're not part of my flock you're not part of you, you know my people my crew um, and uh, it, the flock and the sheep analogy comes from earlier in the chapter doesn't it where he talks about being the good shepherd so you can see how that's rooted in in that context as well so so what we find Jesus saying about his flock okay is that he he won't lose any of his flock you know no one can snatch them out of his hand and then the next you know immediately in the next verse he says well no one can snatch them out of my father's hand as well so there's this like kind of unity of of action you know so so Jesus says look you're not part of my flock i have a flock i'm a good shepherd there's some people who understand me and accept me as the messiah and those people no one can snatch them out of my hand. And also, do you know that no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand as well? You know, there's a protective role that Jesus is performing, which actually is the same protective role that the Father is performing. There's, you know, same sort of purpose and mission, and it leads into, I am the Father, I one. Can you see the, the train of thought there? You know, I'm doing this protective role. Yeah. Uh, the Father is doing the same protective role. I am my Father, I one. Yes, it's almost like they're working on the same mission, they're working on the same goal. Jesus is protecting the flock. And there's a lot of discussion about that analogy of the, the believers as a flock and Jesus as a shepherd scattered throughout the gospel. Um, and what we're seeing here actually is that Jesus doing that action is doing the same purpose and action as his father is as well, that protective work of the flock. So the fact that they are doing the same thing here and Jesus is outlining it uh, within this passage, nobody can snatch them from my hand or from my father's hand. Well, what do we infer from that? What do you think the implications of that of that passage are? Yeah, so here's the bit where we could meander into a, a big theological battle, which we don't want to do. But, you know, the first thing you could infer from it is what the Jewish rulers thought. So if we just carry on to verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So they weren't very happy at all with what he said. And Jesus says, you know, why are you stoning me? Or why do you want to kill me? I've shown you many good works, okay? Which of the, the good works that I've done do you, are you going to kill me for? Another sort of way of teasing out their motives and what they're doing. And the Jews, verse 33, answered, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So, okay, so there's one implication, is that when he says, I and the Father are one, he's basically saying, I am God. And they're saying, well, you're a man and and you shouldn't be saying that uh, that you're God. What you're saying there, Dan, is that, that the Jewish leaders thought that he was being blasphemous and putting himself on the same level as God. Is that is that really what Jesus was meaning here? I think what he goes on to then say basically is a denial of that interpretation that i think he's he basically then goes on to say and and this, these next couple of verses they're they're quite difficult to understand and jesus is quoting a psalm psalm 82 which is also a difficult psalm and it's a bit controversial sometimes what what that psalm is talking about and and who it's referring to but but here's i think ignoring all that which i think we we can do we can just sort of take on face value the 
the feel of Jesus' argument. You know, what's he trying to say? He says, look, so you've, you've accused me of being a man, but making myself God. And Jesus says, look, in your law, in, in your scriptures, it says that those to whom the word came are gods. They're called gods. Okay. And so he says, look, well, if in your law, in your scriptures, there's, there's people who are called gods in whatever capacity, then, then why are you thinking I'm blaspheming? Because I said, I'm the son of God. And so whatever sort of the interpretation of that psalm is or, or whatever it means, he's basically saying, look, no, I'm, that's not what I've said. You've missed the point. I'm saying that I'm the son of God. And by the way, if you turn up your scriptures and see that there's a psalm that says people are called gods, then, um, you know, you shouldn't have made a big deal of this in the first place. So I think you, you can, even if you don't, we don't delve into the controversies around Psalm 82 and all that sort of information, uh, I think it's really quite clear the the overall uh, message of the answer that Jesus gives here is that I'm, he denies their interpretation, basically points out that they've got it wrong, and uh, and he says, no, I'm saying I'm the... And the son of God. I think um, it shows that that terminology is used of leaders of Israel, and therefore there's no inconsistency or there is no problem with uh, with him calling himself the son of God if he is, and it's not a term of blasphemy. Yeah, he basically denies their interpretation, and then in verse uh, 38 he says, look, you need to understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So there's, an, there's another way of sort of saying what he's been saying. You know, I and the Father are one. Or the Father is in me, I in the Father. So we've still got to work out what that means. But like you said, you know, what are the implications? Well, what can we infer from this? Well, the first one is, do we infer that Jesus is God? Is that what he's claiming? I don't think he is based on what, what his sort of answer is. But, but now we've still got to work out what this means. Yeah. Best way of doing that is to look around and particularly in John to see if there's any phrases or situations that Jesus gets into which correlate with with what we see here in John 10 one springs to mind in John 14 the ninth verse there it says and he's having a chat with Philip there and he says whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father um so does that does that help bring some light to to, to the passage in John 10 I mean that's a good one as well isn't it that's another one to sort of add to the mix so he, he can Jesus can say whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So again, you know, you might think, oh, does that mean he's one and the same person? Does that you know a oneness view of, of Jesus and God? And and the same the next verse as well in that chapter he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So that's exactly what we've just seen in in John chapter ten, isn't it? That phrase. So that that shows that we're talking the same language. We're talking about the same concept here about um, you know Jesus and the Father being one. Jesus in the Father, the Father in, in, in Jesus. So we've got to work out what that means. One of the other ways I think is helpful as well is um, pointing out other similar times where Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father, are doing the same action. So you know how they're both performing that sort of protective role. Um, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
And actually, if you go through John and with that lens on and look for it, it's all the way through. It's really fascinating how that, you know, all the way through you get God doing something and Jesus does something. I mean, one of the, the, the big ones is, you know, the famous verse, John John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's this big thing made of God loving the world, not just in that verse, but in other things as well. And then, of course, throughout the the, the book, you then get Jesus saying things like, um, it's uh, John 15, verse 13, for example, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So, you know, the expression of love is then sort of picked up by Jesus. Greater love has no man. In John chapter 5, actually, there's a couple of examples. I mean, there's loads more, but let's just look at John 5, because this is worthwhile. So John 5, verse uh, 17 to 19. I mean, the, the whole section is good, but but that'll do. Great. So let's start reading then. John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For what the father does, that the son does likewise. Yeah, there we go. So that's basically saying exactly what, what we've just been looking at, isn't it? That, you know, whatever the father does, the son does. You know, there's this real unity of action and of mission and of purpose, that kind of thing. And there's a similar dispute involved in that, because here they, they think, well, if he's calling God his father, then he's making himself equal with God. So... Is that is that is that what he's doing, um, or are they completely misunderstood again? I think I think it's probably another example of them just misunderstanding everything that Jesus is doing and and saying. This all came from him doing a a work of healing on the Sabbath day when they were put out by that. Jesus is basically saying, "Look, my Father is working, and I'm working. I'm, you know, he he does this, he carries on working, I carry on working." So this whole theme comes all the t- all the way through you know the father raises the dead and gives life the son gives life the father knows me i know my own um you know, there's so much in the gospel that has this this that unites the the two figures the jesus um and the father and unites them in their sort of mission their purpose and their their actions so i, I think that's a, a helpful step the very fact that this whole relationship is described as a father and a son and a father doing something and then a son following and and learning from the father and repeating the same actions if we were just to take that out of the context of the divine and to put it into our natural world we would have no problem saying you know here is a father who's learned stuff during their li- his life and he's mm. now teaching a son who is is you know following in his footsteps and and doing the same things and following the same mission and purpose so and and that's the way it's positioned isn't it in these passages where you've got a father doing something and then particularly in this one here um without my father you know I can't do anything when he does something I do it yeah absolutely right and i think that that, that kind of comes through in in phrases that we see in in the gospels where it says like my father is greater than i that whole that whole idea comes from our passage and it's even reflected in our passage back in john 10 doesn't it where it says that my father is greater than all mm. um it says that in, in in john 10 when i read through that it sort of jumped out to me it certainly doesn't sound like it's being positioned by um, th- those gospel um, narratives as being the same person, which mm. is what you would um, expect if you had a oneness or modalism approach to this. That, like, you would think it would be more obvious to say 
this is one person in the form of a father, in the form of a son, yeah. whereas it's not coming through like that. Um, so how do we make sense of that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, it, it, I don't think that's a good way of explaining the text, is it? Because of the things you've, you've pointed out, um, mm. which, you know, most people, most people who, who approach the text of, of, of John and the New Testament realise that, you know, these are two different people, two different persons, um, which is which is um, pretty clear, isn't it? So I think the the way of trying to get somewhere for understanding exactly what the relationship is um, and what what Jesus is saying and why that's um, important for us is to look at other people in the Gospel of John because there's other parts of the Gospel that talk about other people being one, like Jesus says, "I and the Father are one." It's actually not just them that claim this this unity and and we see that the most most importantly in John chapter 17 so this is his amazing prayer the night before he is is crucified and there's so much in this chapter it's i recommend anyone to just sit down with a cup of tea and read through it and think about it meditate on it because it's really really profound so we just dive in and just pick out a couple of verses so John 17 verse 11 where he says and he's he's talking about his disciples those you have given me okay he's talking to his father those you have given me verse 11 i am no longer in the world but they are in the world and i am coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one so this, there's a hint there's a start there of seeing that there's this oneness this unity of of whatever we've seen needs to be replicated that's his prayer and then it gets really like explicit in chapter sorry in verse 20 i do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word so now he's talking about you and me and you know many millions of people since that time through history so those who believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. And this is um, it's quite incredible, actually, isn't it, when you think about it? So this unity of purpose, this unity of sort of relationship between Jesus and the Father which we've seen is so like whatever the father does, the son does. Jesus now is now saying, well, that unity needs to be, or he's praying for it to be in a whole host of other people, other believers. So first of all, his sort of disciples who are there with him and those who haven't been snatched out of his hand. And now his flock is actually huge or it's going to be huge. There's going to be all these people who are also going to be one. They're sort of, in, they're invited into the same unity, into the same oneness so that's really fascinating. We've got to really take that into consideration as well as to what Jesus means. I think that is this passage, you know, I echo your comments that this is an amazing passage to to study and consider and just to take comfort from the fact that Jesus said this prayer and and this prayer was asking God to help us here now in 2021 in, in order to come to this oneness of vision and understanding of the gospel i also think it's like the key that unlocks that whole uh, situation that that we're trying to look at around this idea of oneness what does that mean throughout john what he's he seems to be indicating is this is a oneness of 
of understanding and, and following of God. And actually, it's something that we see in Acts of the Apostles as well. Uh, we see that oneness um, wanting to be reflected in the growing church. So they were all in one place with one accord. We see that early in, in Acts the Apostles. And there's lots of disputes about how to be at one with one another. And that's kind of one of the big themes is mm. how do we get around disputes and things like that? And how do we come back together as with what with one mind around the gospel? So I think it's a really, really important theme uh, for us as believers. And it steps us away from the academic theological debate, doesn't it, about mm. what does this really mean? What does what the position is? And it puts it into real practical terms that we can apply to our lives and having a unity of mind and purpose with with Jesus and with God. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. It, what you've just done there is by sort of drawing around the implications that having unity of, of mind and purpose with Jesus and therefore unity of mind um, and purpose with God as well, therefore should mean that we ought to be at one and you have unity of mind and purpose with all the others who are doing the same and who are following him. So, you know, and like you say in Acts, that, that was, a, was a big struggle and it, well, it always is and always will be, but the whole the prayer of Jesus is to, you know, is to have that unity, to to really, you know, aim for, to be, to share that mind and mission of Jesus and the Father. You know, one thing, one way of, of I think, of helping to, to really understand how profound this concept is, is if you think about it, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's praying for us to have the same oneness as him and same unity as he does with the Father. That's something we should be able to say as well. That, that that's the implication of this that i i and the, i and the father are one it's not like you say just a theological verse that we can dispute over and argue about about the nature of jesus and god this is this is really intensely practical that we ought to be well, people who follow jesus ought to be people who can go out and about and say i and the father are one because what the father does i do you know what whatever uh, he does uh, and his character and what he stands for and his glory and everything else like that's what i emulate that's what i try and do so that he that has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, you know, he that's seen me has seen Christ in me, and Christ is the reflection of, of the Father. That this is the, this is the, the you know that that gets it across. I think you know how powerful this concept is. You know, if we we think that that we ought to have that same unity of purpose and mission, then those are things that we ought to be able to aspire to saying. And I suppose in the passage we looked at in John, it was um, Jesus and and God were doing the same actions based on the fact that they had the same plan and purpose and they were of one mind around that. They were basically protecting the flock and ensuring that nobody snatched them away. Do you have any other examples of where maybe God and Jesus were doing the same actions and maybe we can learn from that and, and also perform the same actions? We looked at a few, didn't we? There was a whole list of, of different things, you know, the love that the Father showed and the love that Jesus showed. And he passes that on, doesn't he, by saying, love one another as I have loved you. So you, that's absolutely like the right way of thinking about this. Um, I think that just, again, sort of shows exactly that this is the point the love that comes from the father to the son the son gave gives his life and loves it loves um the world loves the disciples loves his friends lays down his life and therefore calls on us to do exactly the same and love one another as as he has loved us so that, that's probably the, the big one which encompasses all sorts of different things
there's another way I think that this is emphasized towards the end of the gospel in chapter 20. Once, once you've got this um, this idea in mind and sort of checking it and tracking it as you're reading through, start to notice these sorts of things. So John chapter 20 verse 17, this is after the resurrection and Jesus is talking to Mary, so Mary Magdalene who comes to see Jesus and and he says, verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, there's all sorts of things about um, what I am ascending uh, to my Father means, or do not cling to me, and but just realise for this, um, what we're thinking about, he says, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. So, th- they're the same. So, my Father is your Father, and my God is your God. Can you see this This unity of, sort of mind and purpose is kind of emphasised here now, isn't it? So he's been praying about this, and now Mary, the first person to, to see him after the resurrection, he says, look, my father is your father, my God is your God. I mean, this, this whole verse again shows the distinction between the father and the son, between God, who is the father, and, and Jesus. But the, the point of it, again, is not to argue about that, but the point is to say it's... it's God, who is the Father, should be our God and our Father as well. And that shows that, you know, Mary is sort of now in this this unity of mind and purpose. Um, I mean, there's just another example verse um, in this chapter, when he appears to other disciples in verse 21, he says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So there's another example of him uh, being sent, and now he sends. So the Father performs that, he performs it. He then breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And again, there's all sorts of sort of discussion to have about what that means. But the point is, if you forgive the sins, they are forgiven because you're in this mission, you're in this purpose, you're of, you're of one mind, you're of one purpose now. So if you're doing it, then it's like I'm doing it, and it's like the Father's doing it. If you're withholding forgiveness, it's like I'm withholding and, and the Father isn't, and so on. That, that's the, I think that's the point of this passage, that it's now in action. These these people who are going out after the resurrection and they're following Jesus and they're doing things in their lives, they are, or ought to be, going out and, and basically showing Christ and showing the Father to, to the world. So much so that people can say, if I've seen them, I've seen Christ. And if I've seen them, I've seen the Father. It's, it's very powerful. And it reminds me of a couple of passages um, in the letters uh, in the New Testament, Galatians 2, where it says, Christ lives in me. And so that's, you know, taking the words of and the example of Jesus and letting that live inside you. Yeah. And so therefore, we're being reflected in your own words, your own actions. And then in Romans 8, it says something similar. We're being conformed to the image of his son. So... You know, looking at an image of God's son, Jesus, using that as our example to to model our lives on. All of these ideas, they all intersect, don't they, on the fact that uh, there's this oneness of mind, this oneness of of, of vision and purpose. I, I think that's really good. It's good to branch out because we've just been sort of stuck in John, haven't we? Um, and <laughs> I think we've mentioned before that John seems like so different. But actually what we're, what we're seeing is the whole... The, the message, the purpose, you know, fits with, say, the letters of Paul as well. It's it's totally the same. So Paul once is able to say, um, I'm crucified with Christ, but Christ lives in me, basically. So wherever he goes, people ought to see Christ living in him. He ought to reflect Christ. And he's basically calling on the, Ro- the Roman believers to be conformed to the image of the Son. He's saying exactly the same thing as John is saying. You know, suddenly John is, 
in keeping with the rest of the, the New Testament. He's not on a different planet from the rest of the authors of the, the New Testament at all. He's saying the same thing all along. It really shouldn't surprise us at all, but quite often it is claimed or just assumed that John is saying something completely different. But, you know, he really isn't. Just while we're sort of thinking in, in John language, um, we could go to the, one of the epistles of John, so the, one of the letters, so for 1 John 4, because 1, 1 John, this letter, is it talks the same language as the gospel, doesn't it? It sounds very similar, and it really just turns up the practical dial and, you know, it's like, this is, you know, now to people who are living out this. So people like Mary Magdalene, like we saw the apostles and then all the other people who they talked talked to and, and, and taught. And there would have been loads of people now to whom John is writing. And John, 1 John 4 and, I don't know, just verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So there's again abiding in him and he in us. So we saw that language right at the start about Jesus and the Father being in each other, that kind of thing. Verse 16, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So there's that same language again. And, and we saw how it is now talking about love and how exemplifying the love in your life is the way that God lives in you and God um, and you live in God. And then that, you know, very, really practically, verse 19 we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now here's the idea of seeing God. And, you know, you can't see God. But Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So that's the way you see God. You see God in Jesus, who displayed his characteristics. And the whole point here is, well, if we're hating our brother, and we, we've seen him, and he's the one that is is demonstrating the love of God to us. You know, we have effectively seen the Father. How on earth can we can we love say that we love God when we're when we're hating this brother? Yeah, this whole this, the whole concepts yeah. of seeing God or uh, seeing God in other people and displaying God to other people through your love and the way that you you treat people and follow Jesus and all those sorts of things. That this just all comes out spills out into just really profound practical implications um so it's it you know it's exactly what we saw in the gospel it's what you you've pointed out in in galatians in in the letters of paul and so on and it's it's really the the same really important and profound message throughout the new testament yeah absolutely and if, if you want to um, look at another example of that you can look in matthew 25 right at the end of matthew 25 when it talks about um you know when did i see you thirsty and sick etc yeah and the way that we demonstrate our love to jesus is our love to our brothers and our sisters who have all taken and understood the gospel message helping them helping is, is helping jesus which is in turn you know fulfilling the the character and the purpose and the oneness uh, of, of vision with with god Great stuff. Okay, so let's summarize a little bit so far and then we can we can maybe move it forward. So this phrase, I and my father are one, is actually answering the question that was posed at him. Yeah. Um, and it's really talking about the fact that he was of one mind um, and therefore he was the, 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 the Messiah because he was the one that God sent to carry his message, to be with one mind with him, to go and do his work, to go and do his father's work. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, because if he wasn't at one mind with God, then how could he be the one sent from God? You know, the Messiah, the the Savior, the Christ, the Anointed. He he couldn't be that. And and yeah, so so absolutely right. It it actually does in a roundabout way answer that question. I mean, one one thing as well that's really 
worth just just thinking about in just for a minute is that what we've said about this passage in John 10 is pretty much what every commentator says about this as well and and these are trinitarian commentators as, as well so if you look them all up they don't claim that this this verse is is a proof text for the trinity or or the proof text for the deity of Christ at all they they just say the same thing so for example the words uh, word biblical commentary Beasley Murray's volume on, on John says that the setting of verse 30 in relation to verses 28 to 29 shows that a functional unity of the son and the father in their care for the sheep is in mind and then the um Whitaker's um, IVP New Testament commentary on John says this, his sheep are safe in his hand and his father's hand. The implication of such a juxtaposition comes with Jesus's climactic claim, I and the father are one. What is this oneness? In the context, Jesus is speaking of God's love, care and power and his own claim to share in these. Such a claim to oneness with God is not a claim to deity, since the same unity with God is true of Christians who share in God's very life and are participants in his will, love, activity, and power. Thus, Jesus is one with the Father in the same way believers are. You know, that's pretty clear. It's basically what we've been saying, isn't it? A lot of the commentators go on to sort of say, you know, nevertheless, we might detect in this a hint or of some kind of oneness, which, you know, oneness of being, and there might be hints of those sorts of things. But, well, it, it isn't. It's not really. There's no, there's no point bringing up that sort of theological battle or, or dispute or discussion because what we've seen in context and as as pretty much all the commentators agree in context this is about something really practical profound and it's about it really relates to our lives as well and we can have that same oneness so i think that's the, the best way of looking at this verse it's not a verse to sort of throw around in sort of proof texting wars or anything like that at all it's just something really more important than than that and just right at the end of, of the gospel actually john closes his gospel by basically saying in, it's the end of chapter 20 before there's kind of an appendix in chapter 21. So at the end he says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there we go. This is why John has written this gospel. It's so that people like you and me and all our many listeners um, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent from God, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So understanding that unity of purpose and mind and mission that Jesus had with his Father and that we are invited to sort of join into as well, you know, that's part of believing in him as the Messiah, trusting in him and through that having life in his name. And it's really profound. It's really a, you know, an excellent thing to think on and, and go back to and, and reflect on all, all the time. This expression, I and the Father are one, and what that means, not just for Jesus and the Father, but for us as well. I really do think that, you know, it really is impactful to look at these passages, not as academic things to understand, you know, very theological, but almost like detached from our day-to-day -day life type concepts, That, but actually to look at them and consider and study them, but do so in a way that actually touches our life. And we can look to the passage, I and my father are one. We can see a reflection of how he was um, embodying and with uh, one mind with his father and how we are exhorted to do exactly the same thing with him and how the apostles and the believers in the first century were asked to do exactly the same thing. And therefore studying this passage 
unlocks how we should live our lives today. And I think that's a really useful way of approaching this passage. So thank you, Dan, for, for taking us through that process. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. If you want to follow us, if you want to give us some ideas about topics that you want to hear considered on the podcast, please um, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Bible Feed Online. Or you can go to our website, BibleFeed.org, and you can contact us there as well. So thank you for joining us. This was the last episode of 2021. Thank you for your support during this year and see you next year. Thank you very much. See you soon. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our... So let's start that again. <laughs> Shall I just go back? Because I haven't quite explained a bit of that. I'll just uh, have a coughing fit as well. And Paul, if you could just remove that section. Sorry, I've just been distracted because the doorbell's going. It's probably just a delivery driver. And Paul, if you could just remove that section. <laughs> it's, it's not going well, is it, already? <laughs> Cup of tea. And, and, oh, sorry, let me just do that again. What is this saying? Um, let me just uh, reset that a bit. Cup of tea. Well, thank you, everybody. Oh, right, stop laughing. That's <laughs> ruining the whole ambience. <laughs> right, okay. And I can't do it now. I keep looking at you. <laughs> right. It's going to be in the outtakes. Thank you. Oh, Sorry. I was literally just ready. <laughs> I was just ready. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't even close out the last episode of the year. Right. Okay. And bye-bye.